Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 78 of The Yacking Show. This is where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing at the moment. We always have interesting guests for you. Today is no exception. We have two guests today. I'm giving part of Kathleen's game away, but that's all I'm going to say. Two guests today, and it's going to be a good show. Believe me, something uh, everyone should be really interested in. Uh, the last thing I will do before handing over to Kathleen is to say, if you enjoy our show, please subscribe. And then that way you'll get, you'll be sure not to miss the next episode. And we do two episodes a week with interesting guests. Enough from me. So, welcome, Kathleen. Nice to see you back on the show again. And thank you for once again being the co-host and bringing a touch of class to the show. <laughs> over to you. Wow. Thanks for that intro, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, yes, we have two very special guests with such an important message. This is a very important show, uh, especially in this time. Uh, we wanna welcome back John Weiss to our show. John is uh, the founder of Nursing Homes Are Not Prisons. And thank you so much, John, for coming back. You were with us for an episode this past summer. And uh, you're going to be doing a follow-up with us just now. And Betty Miller, Betty is the founder of Senior Guardian Angels. So thank you both so very much for joining us today. How are you're you doing? <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. So, so let's see. Uh, let's start with Betty. Betty, uh, you haven't been on the show before, but as I mentioned, you are the founder of Senior Guardian Angels. Can you give a, our audience a little bit about your background and, and what led up to you founding this fabulous organization? Yeah, sure. Um, it was because my mother, I knew very little about nursing homes at all, like most people, until you really get involved in the system. Um, and my mom was in a nursing home, and I went every day to see her. Um, when I was, uh, when she was moved into that home, they asked me what time of the day I'd be coming. <laughs> and I said, why do you ask? And this, now this is 20 years ago. And they said, well, we just want to make sure she's up and dressed and that sort of thing. I said, well, I would assume she'd be, you know, ready to see friends or family at any time. And they said, well, no, it's just, just better if we know. I said, well, you know what? I can't tell you. I'll, I'll be depends on my schedule, any part of the day. But uh, anyway, as I said, I was there every day and very soon I, I was seeing things that I did not like to see. And mom was only in there for a year. So that was the only experience I had with her in that year. But after she passed away, I wrote a letter to the editor of our local paper and um, some of the issues I, I related to nursing homes and uh, um, I put my phone number in that article. I got so many calls about people having the same problems with families in nursing homes, loved ones in nursing homes. So we all get uh, got together and that's how we established Guardian Angels. We became incorporated and then a year later we uh, became a registered charity. Um, and at the beginning, I really wanted to just, uh, our thought was to make make the public more aware of what really happens in nursing homes and the conditions that are there. Um, but very soon after we got involved, I realized I had 
in order to affect any kind of change, we had to get involved with the, the government, with the systemic part of the system. Um, so that's basically how we started. But we've been around now for over 20 years. And the sad thing is, we still have calls with the same issues that we had in the beginning. Things just have not changed very much at all over those years. So now, Betty, what types of issues are you actually referring to? Well, I'm referring to understaff. At that time, I didn't realize I would get upset because I thought these people aren't doing their job. You know what? It's not. There's some very excellent people there, but there's this, they've been understaffed for decades. Um, people, oh, people being left unchanged. Um, something just happened to my computer here. Oh, we're, you're still with us. No worries. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. People being left unchanged, put to bed so early at night, um, uh, medications being errors made in medications, um, just that type of thing. And, and people just, uh, well, for instance, they didn't at, at, at that time, they didn't put water on the table. And I said, no, don't the residents need water? They said, no, they have tea and coffee. They don't really need that much water. Um, things, little things like that. But I mean, though, those were small things, like the water thing was a small thing. But just, as I said, left unchanged, put to bed early. Um, mom, my mother had a foot that needed, uh, actually, she, um, it was a toe that got infected and then it got worse. One doctor said to me, you know what, this was the doctor from the nursing home. He said, your mother um, is diabetic and the toe is becoming gangrenous, um, gangrene spreads. So we might as well just uh, remove her leg at the knee because it'll spread anyway. It won't be a big deal because she's in a wheelchair anyway. And I, of course I said, yeah, no, to me and to her, it would be a big deal. And we managed to get another specialist in and the, you know, long story short, she lost one toe. But I mean, his whole attitude, you know, well, it won't be a big deal. You know, um, mm. your mom uh, is in that wheelchair. And, and of course, we all know that any kind of an amputation is, oh. a, is a big deal. <laughs> you know, even after, you know, I've known people, well, you know, about the the um, uh, the phantom pain and so on. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bad experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Now, now, John, here's a question to you. Uh, you were, as I mentioned earlier, on the show last summer. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an update of what's been happening since? Certainly. Uh, just to clarify, I am with Betty as part of the Seniors Guardian Angels program. She has delegated to me to be the media relations person. The main purpose of this organization is an advocacy for the better treatment of people in long-term care. The impetus in starting nursing homes are not prisons is that last March, nursing homes were suddenly locked down with the onset of COVID. And they remained locked down until August. That was half a year. Our big concern was that, as Betty pointed out, nursing homes would ideally like to know when family members are coming by to visit. But ultimately, the nursing homes are the patient's place of residence in a practical point of view and a legal point of view. So the patients were being locked in 
their place of residence and their family members and other visitors were forbidden to come to see them. This is akin to house arrest. So Mm -hmm. through nursing homes are not prisons. This was more of a project where Seniors Guardian Angels is an ongoing program and advocacy. And we were so concerned. This is um, um, uh, Alessandra and I, my my uh, co-guest on on my last appearance on your podcast, decided to start Nursing Homes Are Not Prisons, the premise being to uh, start a class action lawsuit to get visitation. So we were all set to go. We had a few families on board, but then visitation had opened up. Now, there are still, with most nursing homes, there are restrictions. You can only go in and out under certain conditions. So we are concerned because this is still a more of a by appointment. There is still this element of control that nursing homes, by and large, have over their patients. But there is not enough of a problem now to to continue with this class action lawsuit. So basically, I had put the organization on hold. I refunded the deposits to all the family members who were willing to be my partners in this. So the organization is on hold for now. But is there going to be another lockdown? I mean, there is uh, the second wave of COVID that is on us. It was very devastating for the residents in nursing homes to go months half a year under these restrictive circumstances. So it is not over yet, but just in a very practical sense, it had to be put on hold. And the my efforts in this are just better put into being an advocate with Betty in Seniors Guardian Angels. So in a nutshell, that's what, that's what is happening with nursing homes are not prisons. Right, okay. and, and um, I'm just gonna jump in one more. In terms of issues, Betty, did, are you finding that a lot of our seniors, and I've, I, um, I mentioned this last, last time uh, with John and Alex, uh, my story, my personal story of losing my dad this summer in a long-term mm-hmm. care facility. Oh, okay. And um, I noticed some things, some issues as well that were happening. Mm-hmm. And I noticed one of the things that was very, very common is administering antidepressants. Antidepressants is very such a common drug being administered yes. to our seniors did you mm-hmm. find that as a, as an issue too and and yes. finding that you know they don't have a voice right that's Their right they're not being heard nobody's not at all reporter no. is going to each of these homes to report on how they're feeling and and uh what they want that's <laughs> right and i've experienced situ- uh, situations where someone moves into one of these homes and it takes an adjustment. It's a huge thing in their life to be leaving their homes and going into another home. They're a little bit down, a little bit depressed. Oh, give them an antidepressant. You know, don't, don't give them help in another way. Just give them an antidepressant. And, and some of the drugs they give, the antipsychotic drugs, like they're harmful to seniors. And, you know, they, they, I asked a doctor once in a home, I said, why do you do this? You know, that this is not good for the residents to give them this type of drug. And, and of course, he, he didn't like it very well. He said to one of the nurses, we have another doctor in the home now giving advice, <laughs> meaning me. But uh, no, it's a, that is a huge problem with, with the drugs, definitely. 
if I could yeah. add something to that, during sure. the last lockdown, there was a spike in the prescription of psych, um, uh, I call them chemical straitjackets, the uh, antipsychotic yeah. drugs that are being prescribed. So this yeah. is something that is a big concern because it is traumatic for the patients to be locked up, separated from their loved ones. And the solution with uh, some nursing homes is to just up the drugs and mm -hmm. put them into a induced state of calmness. That is no way to live. No, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, mm -hmm. it is not. Not at all. No, that's not good. So, Betty, John's covered quite a lot, and you did start off with. But looking back nine, ten months now, uh, to the start of the lockdown, well, it's been the long-term effect, in your opinion, of the lockdowns on the long-term care facilities. Where, where are we looking from now? Oh, it, it's been a terrible effect on the, on the residents. Uh, a lot of residents have died, not because of COVID, but because of the lack of care, mm -hmm. um, lack of company, lack of visitors coming in. A lot of them, if, especially if they don't understand what's happening, it's like all of a sudden no one's coming to see me now. They don't care anymore and they just lose interest. They stop eating. Um, but, it, it, no, it has had a uh, horrific um, um, problem with with the mm. homes on with covid and and especially with the visitors not coming in nobody coming sure. in i don't uh, understand why uh obviously they need the psws and the rpns and so on coming in with their ppe on one member at least of the family use the same ppe come in once a day and make sure and that things are going okay and besides that uh it's a help to, it would be a help to have a family member in Sure. Because you know what it's like yourself being in a, in a hospital or you, as, as we're talking now, the nursing homes, if you need something and there's no one there to get it for you, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. A, a very bad effect. So Betty, you, you started this organization pre-pandemic because mm -hmm. you identified the issues that were happening way before the pandemic. Way back. Yeah, that's right. right. So how has the pandemic made things worse well i think what it's done it's shone a light on on what really goes on on in these homes and of course the pandemic has made it worse because of so many people dying and not and and the spreading disease you know some of the older homes with uh, two and four bedded rooms um it's very difficult to to not have the disease spread um but uh yeah i mean it's i really feel things haven't changed much it's just that the pandemic has shone a light on on what's really going on and of course things back in the harris government there were so many cutbacks and then this year with the inspections ford cut back on those premier ford so the lack of inspections has made quite a difference too mm -hmm. although actually it, talking it, it, <laughs> inspections are a bit of a joke <laughs> and that came out in the inquiry you know that ford did Anyway, I'm getting on another question. No, but Betty, that was great. If I could add to that, in addition to the cutback of inspections, because now inspections are driven by complaints. If there are no visitors coming into nursing homes, there is no one to complain to the staff and then right. complain to the Ministry of Long-Term Care and complain to other authorities. So if there is no accountability 
because family members can't see what's going on and no accountability because the ministry is not doing proactive inspections, who is driving the bus? The nursing home industry, by and large, doesn't have that watchdog of any kind. This was really evidenced by the Department of Defense's horrific report of the findings in, uh, I believe it was a half a dozen nursing homes, where this feedback loop was removed, things became uh, very much like a concentration camp. The interesting thing about that report is no, none of the problems were related to COVID directly. COVID was simply the catalyst that brought these horrific problems to light. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Peter? Yeah. Let's move on to something else that's in, very much in the news at the moment. The vaccine, the much promised, much heralded and very rushed procedure or <clears throat> manufacture of vaccines and, and the huge controversy that that's causing too. Um, the vaccines, I believe, are here or very close to being here. Will that be beneficial to long-term care homes, do you believe? Um, are you asking, asking me? Like, uh, yeah, I think certainly it will be beneficial eventually. But uh, my question, I kind of wonder is when are these residents really going to get the, the vaccine? Because it's going to be more difficult than they think. They can't go to a clinic or some center where they're getting the, the vaccine. They're going to have to bring it into the home. And then with the, uh, while the Pfizer one has to be kept so cold, I don't know how yep. they're, they're probably going to have to have a different one. And I, I realize they're going to be doing the staff first and the doctors, which is obviously a good thing too. But uh, I, I think if it I has could, to help everyone. Actually. Yeah, John, go ahead. Certainly, if I could add to that, I'm, I'm not coming across as either pro or anti-vaccine, but my concern is simply this. For us as adults who can make our own decisions, it is more straightforward to decide yes or no, do we mm -hmm. want a mm -hmm. vaccine? Most of the residents in nursing homes rely on a power of attorney substitute decision maker to make that decision. As my mom-in-law is in a nursing home, her power of attorney substitute decision maker, my wife, has not received any kind of information on this. The nursing home industry, uh, by and large, uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any nursing home that has received information. The unions that, that represent the frontline workers have reported that they have not received information. So my concern is this. The vaccines are pretty well ready to deploy and nothing has been done to start this process for um, getting approval from power of attorneys to proceed with this vaccine. This is something really scary because this is a uh, moral and legal and practical requirement before residents in nursing homes can be vaccinated. So well, that's, a, that's a really I, good I, point. John. Go ahead, Betty. No, I just, that's a really good point, what you're making. I talked to someone the other day in a, in a home, a family member, and um, they, they're they saying what you're saying, John. They have, they didn't know anything about the vaccine. They've heard nothing at all. 
So, but it exactly. <clears throat> so this is kind of scary. It is. Now, what, what is what is particularly scary, picking up on that, John, is constitutional rights and, and rights under the Charter are being trampled on all over the place. And, um, you know, from exemption from wearing masks to uh, locking up business premises without court orders, it seems to be that's just anything can be done in the name of preventing the spread of the virus. So my my cynical side of me says <laughs> they're not going to bother if they feel the nursing home all the patients, residents of a nursing home must be vaccinated, they will be vaccinated. Uh, perhaps I'm being unduly cynical, but that's my concern. And I think perhaps yeah. it's a concern you guys have, and it's it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, Peter, sure. you're, you're not being cynical, you're being realistic, because vaccine is ready to go. The governments are saying that nursing home residents are going to be amongst the first but yet none of this groundwork has been put in place. Now, I'm not saying that some kind of conspiracy just to go in and start vaccinating people in nursing homes without going through this, but the lack of communication just really makes you wonder mm -hmm. what, is there just a lack of plan? At, at worst, it is a plan to just vaccinate without going through this. At best, it is a lack of communication and a lack of competence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So switching gears a little bit, um, earlier this month, the Ontario government released um, their COVID-19 interim report as part of the investigation on the findings by the Canadian Armed Forces uh, from last summer. What are your comments on that report, John? Well, uh, first of all, I would encourage all of your viewership to have a look at the report. It's pretty short. It's only eight pages. And there were three main points in it. Uh, the first being effective leadership and accountability. Second being using performance indicators to assess each home's readiness to prevent and manage COVID-19 outbreaks. And number three, a focused inspections to assess compliance with measures known to reduce the impact of the virus. The key part of this is accountability in point number one. Right now, there is no accountability whatsoever. And this lack of accountability really renders everything else a, a moot point. Okay. Hmm. Mm. So just go back even a, f a step further. Why were the, the members of the armed forces soldiers in the in the nursing homes in the first place? What was the reason behind that? The official answer is unknown. My personal theory is this: the military has a code of silence, and it was mm. probably the hope of the government that they could send in the military to provide emergency care for the patients in the hopes that they would not go public with this. And they found such horrific things that they really had a moral duty to do so and a practical duty as well too, because things, let's face it, were so bad in that uh, report, if the military did not speak up, it, it would create a lot of problems where it would mm -hmm. come up later as to why didn't you 
say anything. The interesting thing, though, is not so much that the military was there. It was who wasn't there. Families were still being forbidden, yet the nursing homes were bringing in military. I mean, no disrespect towards the Canadian military, but we are talking about their frontline workers are people like infantry and Mm -hmm. artillery. They have no practical training. So they had received a basic training before they were sent in. But it just begs the question, why were the military allowed to go into care, yet the patient's own families were not? The Mm -hmm. only logical reason is a hope by the government and nursing home industry that the military would would keep quiet about what they saw. And obviously that didn't work. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so have, have the problems though, because this report came out by the military, have some of the problems in these nursing homes been resolved? Has it helped? I would say probably not. I mean, things don't change, you know, no, and, no. and nothing, nothing was done after the first wave. That's when they should have been hiring. Like they've made this announcement now, 27,000 or how many million dollars into long-term care. But uh, we needed that after the first wave. More PSWs, RPNs, more staff had to be hired. Uh, The four hours of care we've talked about, those things should have been implemented. Nothing was done, really. Mm -hmm. Nothing's been done since the first wave. And that's why we're, that's another reason we're seeing what we're seeing now, all these homes with uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. So this is one for Betty. The government has announced um, they're going to provide four hours care per patient or per resident per day. Is is that going to change things if, if they can get to that? I think it would certainly help, sure, if they get to that. But I mean, what's it four or five years from now? And they've been asking for it for decades. So why not implement it right now? Why not do something immediately? But, you know, he's just, uh, you know, he's leaving it for the, Premier Ford's leaving it for the next government. And I think you feel that way too, John. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but Exactly. If you look at the logistics of that, four hours care per person per day, and a working day is around eight hours. So that means you need one care person for every two residents. And then you need the support staff, catering, cleaning, everything else. So I am not quite sure what the staffing levels are. From what you're saying, they're not enough. This surely is going to show up a huge shortfall in staffing levels if they get to that. I would agree completely. First of all, uh, Betty is right. On the surface, the Ford government is saying we are committing to four hours of care. It sounds great, but the implementation date is after the next election. So Mm -hmm. the Ford government is not committing to anything. They are kicking the proverbial can to make it the next government's problem. Problem. And whoever forms that next government is not in any way bound by what the previous government is doing. So it is not a commitment on the the part of the Ford government at all. Uh, Second, Peter, to address your point, yes, there is currently a severe shortage of staff in nursing homes across Ontario and across Canada as well, too. It sounds well and good to have this four-hour commitment, but if it is made, it begs the question, where are the staff going to come from? Yeah. 
Right. That's right. They can't possibly do it with the staff they've got now. No. I've been told by PSWs they have 12 minutes to get the resident out of bed ready and into the dining room for breakfast. And that's wow. and so then residents sometimes have complain about, yeah, the staff is rough, this sort of thing. Well, sometimes it isn't their fault. They've got that amount of time to get into the dining room, get, you know, do the whole morning thing and get them into the, into breakfast. And uh, so many of them are left alone once they're back from breakfast in their room. Some of the ones that, that can't move their wheelchair around themselves, they're stuck in that room alone again most of the day till lunchtime. And, and in the feeding there again, see, they don't have time to, a, a resident that can't feed themselves, they do not have time. The lady, I, I do companion care, actually, mm -hmm. nursing homes and retirement homes. And I had a lady there, it would take her an hour at least for me to feed her. Well, there's no way that the staff can possibly have the time to do that. Right. So they give her what they can do in that sh in a short time. And then she's... Uh, She's lost a lot. This particular lady has lost a lot of weight and going downhill. But that's just another issue with the time. Sure. But so, you know, I, I, to, to quickly add something to that, to to Betty's point, mm -hmm. this is really the, the problem in locking down nursing homes, mm -hmm. where the nursing homes really do depend on people like Betty who go in and provide professional care on right. uh, on behalf of patients' families, and people like my wife and I who go into nursing home, into a nursing home to look after our loved one directly. When the yeah. nursing homes lock out visitors, they are locking out a lot of free labor that they just can't make up for otherwise. Of course, of course, of course. So, wow. So, the government of Ontario has committed to building several 600 plus bed nursing homes, these huge nursing homes. Do you see that as a viable solution, Betty? Yeah, De no, see, I would like to see a whole new vision for long-term care. Um, you remember years ago, disabled children were put into big institutions. Mm -hmm. And after years of advocates, that, that finally ended. This is the only demographic that are put into institutions. And there are alternatives. There's direct funding. There's group homes. There, you ask any, any senior, any older person about a nursing home, you know, don't put me in a home, anything. Give me a pill. Do anything. I don't want to go into a nursing home. They don't want to go to those places. That's right. And, of course, they're much more dangerous when something like COVID comes along. Mm -hmm. But there are alternatives. We, where I live uh, in Niagara, there are three homes that have 10 residents in each home. And it's just a whole family porches to sit on. It's in a residential area. It's a real home-like atmosphere. It's amazing. But um, unfortunately, it is actually a retirement home. They only take people with dementia, but it's it's basically retirement home over $5,000 a month. So if this could be done different with the government and start, instead of putting all the money into the beds in nursing homes, do it with a whole new idea of smaller homes, but they don't, the mindset is just you're old, you need help, you need an institution or, or a dysfunctional home care system. Right. But and, uh, to add to what Betty has said, uh, I have three concerns with these super nursing homes. The first being, yes, there are 600 and change beds. I believe there are four of them that have been committed to being built. So there's 2,400 beds. Currently, the backlog to get into long-term care is about 25,000. 
And as the baby boomers become more geriatric, that number is going up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, the new nursing home beds solve a small part of the problem, but it's barely putting a dent in the total demand for long-term care beds. Second, these huge facilities, where are they going to get the staff from them for them? Mm -hmm. And third, are they going to become like factory assembly lines where they're so big that they are going to bring in more unskilled people? And in that case, the whole concept of care is being taken apart from having one or, or only a few frontline workers where there is a relationship with the parents to having one person who goes around brushing teeth, another mm-hmm. person who puts on, um, on, on shoes. Basically, this could be the only hope of making this work with the large facilities and the lack of professional healthcare workers. I see this as becoming factory care. Yep. And yep. Are, are the families going to be allowed to go into these factories? Mm-hmm. And if you just look at dollars and cents, if you're building homes like that of 600 people, they have to be multi-level, multi-story. So you've got to put things like huge air conditioners and huge elevators and all sorts of expensive mechanical and electrical systems. If you have a house that houses 10 people, and especially if you move that out of an expensive um, size, you can probably put that up for under a million bucks, right? So my, my thumbnail sketches the cost of establishing one bed is going to be far lower, the capital cost, in a house that houses 10 as opposed to a huge building that houses 600. And moving on to your staffing, if you then put those outside the busy centres, yes, it could be a problem for families, but put those in smaller towns where property is cheap and where there's lots of people looking for work that could perhaps be adequately trained as caregivers. To me, that would be a huge opportunity to look at. Well, it would be. And, and, and the other thing with the caregivers, they, sh- they see the PSWs and so on should be uh, it should be a full time job wherever they are right now, still in the big nursing homes, not yep. going from one nursing home to another. They can't afford to have one job, but give them a full job, a decent salary, sick leave. You know, that's that's the other thing that would help. But no, it would save money. The smaller homes would save the government money, too. They pay two, about almost two hundred dollars a bed. Now put that money into direct funding or mm-hmm. home care. You know, it's just a much, much better way for long-term care and a much better way for these vulnerable people to live in a home like that. Absolutely. And there's infrastructure around. You know, I think I knew somebody that moved to, I think it was called Elliott Lake, which I believe was an old mining town, which was sort of deserted when the mine ran out. And it was... um, used as accommodation for seniors who were retired and who didn't need to earn an income and and cost of living was really cheap it's a bit far north for a lot of people i'm just using that as an example i'm pretty sure there would be housing buildings around that could be used for this sort of thing anyway we're thinking about that's enough for me i'm going off on a little hobby horse back to you (laughs) kathleen well i think we're running uh, out of time here so here we are last question uh very quickly what does long-term care look like in 2021, do you think? I mean, we haven't seen much change up until now. Are you hopeful that you will see some in the next year? I'm not too positive. No, I don't, I don't see a lot of changes. I really don't. 
All right. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I would agree with uh, Betty completely. Not to brag, but last January, we made some predictions at a press conference that actually got national news coverage. And not to brag, but our predictions were spot on. Basically, to summarize it in 25 words or less, the industry, it was basically being held together by string and glue in a very precarious way. And we had pointed out that it wouldn't take very much to completely bring down this house of cards. And while we didn't see COVID coming, certainly the effect of COVID has caused a lot of damage to the industry. So here we are a year later going into 2021. As Betty pointed out, nothing had changed. COVID is still with us. The second wave is apparently upon us. And what has the nursing home industry and the Ministry of Long-Term Care learned from this last year? And how is this going to be ca be carried forward? I really see no learning absorbed by the government, the Ministry of Long-Term Care, and I see no viable solutions being put forward in the year ahead. So unfortunately, it is business as usual for the worst. Right. Yeah. So how can our listeners got a very... how can our listeners contact you, Sorry. John and Betty? Well, basically, the best the way is go ahead, go Betty. Ahead, you, you say. Go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say we are online. The address for our website is sgap.ca, Seniors Guardian Angels Program. Dot ca. Yes, okay. and all of the contact information is there, as well as further information on who we are and what we do. Excellent. Very good. We will put that on there. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Over to, over to you, Kathleen. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We so appreciated having you, John and Betty. And thank you all for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye.